another episode of the CDC Tech Life Podcast, coming to you from our studio inside the Charleston Digital Corridor's flagship incubator on Morrison Drive. Charleston has been recognized as a technology hub for a couple of verticals. The success of companies like BlackBot and Benefit Focus that helped drive the early growth in the local tech and entrepreneur communities established the city as a leader in philanthropic and HR tech. That growth spurred diversification and success in other verticals, such as Boomtown and now Punchlist in property tech. Now, you can find a startup or growing technology company in just about any vertical industry with a presence here in Charleston. In today's episode, we talk with the co-founder of a rapidly growing startup that is working to digitally transform a traditionally low-tech vertical, the legal industry. This episode is brought to you by the City of Charleston. The City of Charleston is pleased to support the Charleston Digital Corridor with its mission to foster innovation and entrepreneurship. I'm here with Andy Sievers. Andy is the co-founder and CEO of Case Status. Well, welcome, Andy. Yeah, thanks. Good to see you. Yeah, good to um, see you. Let's start with a little bit of a snapshot of Case Status. Tell us a little bit about your mission and the solutions you offer and who your customers are. Case Status was built around the idea that clients of a law firm, they want to know what's going on, but it's mm-hmm. been traditionally a really tough industry. And so we, um, I partnered with a current lawyer. She's mm-hmm. practicing today. And, and we built a solution that um, gives clients really their case status on mm-hmm. their phone or text or um, via their computer. And really, you know, we see it transforming the way uh, law firms interact with their mm-hmm. clients. We liken it to online banking 30 years ago. You mm-hmm. went to your bank, maybe you could call them, but today you wouldn't hire a bank that doesn't give you online banking. Right. And we don't download online banking because we want a channel mm-hmm. to communicate with our banker. Mm-hmm. In fact, we might not have one. Right. It's all about having access to our accounts, ownership over our account, um, our bank accounts. And so that's what case status is about in the legal industry, giving clients access to their case and ownership over their account. And when they're happy, when they have a place where they can go to find answers to questions, it really does transform the way the law firm operates. So your customers are the law firms and the users that were their clients. Yeah, absolutely. And we tend to focus on high volume firms. So um, in the legal industry, between 70 and 80 percent of the industry is either flat fee, which means they charge a flat fee up front or contingency based Mm -hmm. and they sell to consumers. So we sell to the personal injury lawyers, Mm -hmm. you have the billboard lawyers, workers (laughs) compensation and a number of um, areas like that where because they're not billing hourly, there's even less incentive to give them a call, to give them an update and they're consumers. So today we have a law firm where 50 percent of their clients don't have an email address. I mean, it can be a tough group of people. The spectrum is wide. And so we've uh, really become really good at um, giving clients an easy place to go to find uh, answers to their questions. How big is the team and who are some of the other key members you want to call it? Yeah, so uh, today we have thirty time mm-hmm. or 32 full-time Great. staff members. Uh, we have another 10 um, contractors yeah. based here in the U.S. And and really, we over the last year, we've started to really build an executive team of mm-hmm. just heavy hitters. So Greg mm-hmm. Taylor is at SAP. He's at BlackBot for yep. a number of years. And so he's my chief of sales mm-hmm. and has brought on uh, a number of um, BlackBot uh, individuals, <laughs> Matt Mallon, uh, Paul Bamard, uh, um, Jonathan Howell, a number yeah. of people who have really started to build the enterprise side of our Mm -hmm. team, um, as well as the core side of our team as well. And we're starting to build structure, which is exciting. I mean, we have um, an extended leadership team, individuals who really care, who are fully bought in, who know how to do their job and and really lead our team well. And so it's been fun to see so many people um, just engaged in what we're doing and, and really bought into the 
to the mission that we have. What's the origin story of case status? You and I have sort of run in the same circles for a while and known each other for a while. And so it's really sort of interesting to see this start to take off. But how did you get to this point and, and decide like this is, is something that we think has legs? Yeah. So my business partner, uh, Lauren Sturdivant, mm-hmm. she was working at a personal injury firm here mm-hmm. in Charleston and she had 200 clients, Mm -hmm. they're calling, emailing, they're frustrated. (laughs) And she thought there has to be a solution. And she looked around and there really wasn't anything. And from my point of view, I was actually a pre-law major in college. There was a time in Nashville where I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. So I actually clerked at or really interned during college at a couple firms and learned about how inefficient they were, but then ultimately got into software. And um, when I ended up in Charleston, her and I met through the Harbor Entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. Center. And when I met her and she had that idea, I thought, you know, that's a really it's a really good idea, but I had another startup taste mm-hmm. at the time. And, you know, when she was just getting started with case status and, and over the next few n- months, when I realized it was time to shut taste down, I talked to a friend, uh, Andrew Askins about, you know, what's Lauren up to? And mm-hmm. he said, wait, are you looking like Lauren asked about you yesterday? You know, she's trying to really start case status yeah. and you know, you'd be a good partner. And so her and I got together um, at the Harbor and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and founded case status together and, and really launched early 2018. That's great. Yeah, those are some of my favorite stories. When you've you know you've got someone who's got some experience in a particular domain, but has that sort of entrepreneurial mindset and experience with technology, and mm-hmm. like, okay, how do these things intersect? And then to see it take off is, yep. is a great story. And it's an interesting sort of angle with Lauren sort of being in the field, experiencing that problem firsthand. It's just sort of a perfect storm. You know, she knows the industry. I'll say it took a couple mm-hmm. of years for yeah. us to, to find product market fit and, and find out the channels in which we could reach mm-hmm. these attorneys where we. We knew it would be, it would directly solve the pain. I mean, it's not a corporate transactional lawyer that mm-hmm. you work with for two weeks. I mean, these are cases that go 18 months. Wow. It could go, a workers' comp case yeah. could go 10 years. It's a long engagement and clients just have this over overwhelming feeling of being in the dark. And so yeah. using that subject matter expertise, we really, you know, continue to push through. Um, we got into Techstars Atlanta at one point mm-hmm. in our in our story, and that really helped us. And we finally, we were able to uh, to figure out how to address the market. Well, one mm-hmm. of our challenges was we raised some money and then COVID hit two weeks later. Yeah. And so in the legal market, I mean, courts closed, yeah. law firms could Everything function. Everything to a halt. Yeah, people, people yeah. weren't driving. There weren't even injury yeah. cases yeah. or workers' comp cases. <laughs> yeah. So for us, it was a, it was a tough time, but it let us... I mean, in the worst conditions, we still grew and it was uh, it was really good for us because in the last year we've seen a lot of success because of it. That's great. You you mentioned the Harbor Entrepreneur Center. You mentioned Techstars Atlanta. Talk to me a little bit about some of those formative experiences for you as an entrepreneur. You know, I, for as long as I've known you, you've sort of had that mindset. So is this something that was sort of spurred by those experiences or did you, you feel it was more of a case of that was going to be your destiny, but those, they really sort of armed you with some of the, the, the skills and, and refined that mindset a little bit? Yeah, I think just over time, I've learned that, you know, one of the most important skills, not really a skill, yeah. just teachability is really yeah. important as a as an entrepreneur. And at an early stage, you look for who cares as much as I do? Well, yeah. no one, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> for your idea, but who's, you know, who can you find who will give you some time, who yeah. will invest? And, and I had a really great mentor in college who invested in me a little bit. It's how I started doing some consulting. It's really how I ultimately ended up, you know, consulting in software. And, you know, then you think about, well, then where are the resources for entrepreneurs? Mm -hmm. Well, the Harbor Entrepreneurship Center, the Accelerator, Mm -hmm. that was an obvious next place to go. And then with case status, when we applied for Techstars, I mean, they had 600 applicants and they accepted 10 and that meant a lot. I mean, but we... We didn't know anything at the time, but having having a group of people and mentors and really kind of our first investment, other than a small uh, friends and family type mm-hmm. raise, it was 
now is the time to go and there's some validation, but we still have a lot to learn. And over time, those types of organizations and, and really the connections I've made through different organizations have been the reason I'm here today. I mean, the, our lead investors at Panoramic Ventures, I sat down with Dan Dreschel, who's a board member, in their office up in Buckhead back in Techstars. And I remember you know, eighth floor or whatever, looking out their window going, oh man, we're never going to be ready for this. But the reality was now they've been invested in us since early 2020. And that's been really exciting because that was another example of people who were, who joined our board, are dedicated and invested in our success and have been really great resources for us to grow and learn. What were some of the key lessons you think you've learned along the way and sort of what do you think you've taken from those lessons and sort of put back into use? Yeah, I think when you're you always think it's going to go faster than yeah. it will. And and I look at the last four and a half years and it has gone so fast. But in the moment, it feels like ah, we're almost there. Yeah. We're, we're getting closer. Yeah. And I think some of the things that. Not saying we would have done anything different because we're very happy with where we're at, but we hired maybe a little too fast early mm-hmm. on. We we maybe invested in channels where we weren't really ready right. to invest in those channels at um, at such a level. But in a lot of ways, we did progress our learning, and you know we do a lot of conferences. So mm-hmm. this year we'll go to fifty two conferences, or at least my staff will, and. We look back and we think, well, we wouldn't have even known about this channel if we didn't take some early bets Mm -hmm. and believe that this is where a lot of lawyers congregate. It's where they go to get Mm -hmm. better. And so you take bets and you learn as you go. But at the end of the day, I mean, every startup's a little bit different Mm -hmm. and what works for someone doesn't work for someone else. So um, I don't regret any of those decisions. But I think, you know, if I would do this again, we'd probably stay leaner. We'd we'd look for people who want to just lean in. And, And now we're at a point where we can hire people with real experience, but early on, you know, it's anyone who will come along yeah. for the ride. You can, you know, show you a little bit of experience. And so, so we would make these hires and try and fill these, these holes. But I think we, in a lot of ways, you hire to try and solve the problem where we needed to figure out exactly what the problem was. Yeah. Um, and once we knew the solution and had solved it at scale, then start hiring for that. So that's probably something I would do differently next yeah. time. You had that energy, but, you know, learning how to and where to focus yeah. it is something that just takes time. Well, you know, talking about things that are going right, you earlier this year, you closed a Series A round. What was that experience like? And what do you hope it's going to do for case status going forward? Yeah, I mean, we've always take a, taken a little bit of a non-traditional route in funding in the sense that I've spent a lot of time fundraising mm-hmm. and I say this humbly, I'm, I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. And the challenge with that then is everybody says, well, let's, let's only raise exactly what mm-hmm. we need. Well, there's a mindset, you know, you hear more often, Hey, raise more than yeah. you need. Well, we've never done that. Yeah. We've always raised just enough. And so what that's led to is these, they're not even tranches. We've just done a lot of yeah. rounds of million you know, tech stars, uh, uh, 225 from angels, yeah. uh, uh, 500 from a small VC fund, another 350, mm-hmm. then a 1.5. And, and so now having it all together raised 11 million, we feel like we're at this, you know, truly this, this series A phase where now mm-hmm. we've over time raised this money, but it, it can be distracting. I mean, it takes mm-hmm. a lot of my time. Fortunately, we're, I'm past it now and we're mm-hmm. able to really focus on the business and, and we're in the midst of, building our operating plan for next year. And, mm-hmm. and we have real data, real, a year mm-hmm. where we'll triple this year, our revenue. And that's been so exciting for the team and, um, and for our growth story. And so now we get to say, okay, let's use this data. Let's focus next year. Let's say no to more things. Let's, mm-hmm. let's try things that we haven't been able to and really scale this business to the next phase, but not in a, oh yeah, we've raised a little money. Let's go hire 50 yeah. people and, and increase our burn. Because what we've learned is that our levers 
are not people driven people. Mm-hmm. We have really great people right now who are fully invested mm-hmm. and we just need the, the program spend. We need the resources. Mm-hmm. We need the time. We need the, um, the focus to be able to go after some of these channels and really scale the business so that at this time next year, we'll be in a place where we can say, well, what kind of exit is case status going to see? Do we cap yeah. out at a $200 million exit? Or is this a, you know, is this the big win that yeah. we expect it could be? I mean, we, we have a vision that case status is not legal specific. We have today mm-hmm. a customer, they they're in veterans affairs. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not a law firm, they have over 20,000 claims and it's a really good fit. I mean, we have a vision that in just professional service where you're dealing with consumers, clients Mm -hmm. on the other end, and it's a long process, people just want to know what's going on. And when they know what's going on in their, the Amazon app on their Mm -hmm. phone, so they can purchase and track, you know, they can track their Domino's pizza, Mm -hmm. their banking, you know, medical portals. There's, there are so many areas of their life where they're so informed, but yet in legal, especially in professional service, there's a really big opportunity for us to, to take over a big market, but we're not there yet. We focus on four practice areas in legal space, very narrowly. Mm -hmm. The other 20% of our customers end up being in some other areas and, and we're going to programmatically build our channels and grow and validate and then um, know exactly where we're going. Well, I think the approach that you've taken is a solid one from the standpoint of, you know, with those smaller raises and then actually seeing them turn into results sort of creates that momentum and that track record that you can lean on, you know, when you are ready to like try to hit another level of scale. And you're right. I mean, case management's a huge space and, you know, you're touching one vertical there, but there, there's a lot of green field in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about the case management providers, there's so many players trying to give solutions and solve pain for the back office Mm -hmm. of these law firms. But we've really, for the first time, solved for the end user. And then because of that, we can give a lot of value to the law firm that nobody else can do. And because we integrate with all of these solutions, Mm -hmm. while they're all fighting over the same customers, we get to be Switzerland. We're not, you know, we we integrate with everybody. We play nice with everybody. We just last week, Clio is a case management Mm -hmm. tool, $1.6 billion. And they had their big conference and we're their number one sponsor. And they tried to build a competing product and we're still number one sponsor big biggest partner because we know that this is a really hard problem to solve and we're really good at it and we're not ashamed of that but we're and we're continuing to get better and we're continuing to have narrow focus to to be the best Mm. provider in this space and so when we go to those conferences we walk away with i mean i think they said they set uh, our team set 30 meetings at the table alone you know just at the table there was a line of people saying I need to give clients a better experience. Mm -hmm. And for law firms to acknowledge that is a really, really important step in transforming the way that the legal industry operates. Yeah, any type of sort of marketplace offering, like yeah, where you're trying to connect the B2B part with the B2C part, it's actually in some ways really hard for a big established company that's been on the B2B part to get into that business because it always feels like a lack of focus as opposed to coming in the direction you've come in and you're sort of that from the start, um, you know, I think is a huge advantage. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Clio, they have maybe a million end user clients mm-hmm. that they've never touched before mm-hmm. and then they tried to create a solution that fits works for all of them. Well, Mm. adoption, not there. The support channel that Mm. had opened up that they didn't expect so high the feature request because it's not solving the problem for the law firms right. and and the icing on the cake is they don't charge for it it's right. a free feature that ends up being a rabbit hole of yeah. expense and for us we tend, tend to charge two to six times more than clio yeah. because there's so much value for the end user and, and ultimately for the law firm are there any unique challenges you'd say being sort of a technology venture in a non-technology field like like the legal industry yeah as we think about technology in the legal industry i mean 
law firms are not particularly forward thinking mm-hmm. and they're not big technology buyers. I mean, when we sell to our smaller law firms, sometimes it's a consumer buy. Yeah. They're thinking about, well, if I buy your software for my staff of 10, well, that's the smaller boat at the end of the year. Yeah. And when you have that mentality, that means they're just not invested enough in the in the success of their business. And to be fair, they weren't trained in business. They went to law mm. school to be a lawyer. And so for us, we have the challenge of we have to educate them on what does it mean to have financial impact? What does this actually mean for your growth and for your headcount, for your efficiency? And just because you have staff, I mean, Every hour they spend, that's those are dollars and cents. And so we try and help communicate that as effectively as we can. And as we get into the bigger law firms, they become more sophisticated yeah. and more resourced and better technology. And it honestly becomes easier for us. Yeah. The market is, is a, a bit easier for us to sell. And, and at scale, case status works really, really effectively. But it's always been a challenge for us. And we've gotten a lot better at it where the only reason we really lose firms is failure to launch. They purchased. Yeah. We do minimum 12-month agreements. They start paying on day one yet sometimes they never adopt sometimes they'll never talk to us again yeah they just are so busy that they won't give us the time Mm -hmm. of day and they're paying monthly or they're paying annually and and so that becomes a challenge so we spend a lot of time really doing the best job on the sales side to communicate this is this is the investment it's not the time that it took to implement your case management tool but there is still an investment here and here's what it looks like and here's what we need from you but here are all the things we're going to do for you and as we get better and better at that we see our retention just you know go way up yeah, a lot of the smaller firms, it's actually the the partners, the senior partners who are the operations, who are the yeah. the administrative, uh, you know, team and yeah. and they, you know their attorneys. They they're not equipped and they don't have time to, yeah. to do that. Exactly, so that's interesting. You know, what do you think? Some of the the biggest wins you've had so far as a company have been. Well, I think over the last year, I mean, really, as we were going through COVID, we didn't have any choice but to build a cold outbound sales process. Mm-hmm. And I had to build that. And there was no one else to build it. And so we had a couple SDRs, one rep, and we built a way to reach out to law firms. And, and it worked, especially we were surprised during COVID mm-hmm. that that was even possible. But we were able to grow. Well, that took us to a certain point in middle of last year, middle of 21, Mm. where I said, well, now it's time to scale this. This works. Mm. And I need somebody who can really come in and make the sales organization professional and and bring in the, I mean, the scalability that Mm. we needed. And so that's when we went out and ultimately found Greg Taylor. And and by the time we had him rammed, call it November at the end of the year, I mean, that's when we did grow eight times Mm -hmm. in a year and a half. But it's easy to grow eight times when you're small. At least I say that relatively, but to really scale to the next level over the last year, I mean, it's it's really because of a lot of the work that he's done to take what we've do, we did in the past and and just make it make it really successful. And we're getting better at making it predictable. We can forecast mm-hmm. it, and uh, I mean, we're excited for the end of the year. We have three million in pipeline that's supposed to close in the next two and a half months, and that's and great. another sixty deals sitting there that have zero pipeline associated because they're have their meetings haven't yeah. even happened yet. So we're very optimistic for, you know, even closing a portion of that yeah. with where we'll end for the end of the year. That's exciting. Now I mentioned earlier, you and I sort of run in the same circles for a while in local industry events like startup grind, other things now, but you mentioned that, you know, you had been in Nashville for a while. What, what brought you to Charleston and sort of what were your reactions, perspective, perceptions of the local tech and entrepreneur communities here when you came? 
Yeah, well, when I went to school in Nashville, I wanted to be an entertainment mm-hmm. lawyer. Yeah. Well, I got into software, started yeah. you know, my really my first tech startup, and ran that for a couple of years. Started um, writing a lot of mm-hmm. code and and trying to build this idea that really wasn't very good, wasn't mm-hmm. validated. And we had a number of friends who decided they were going to move to Charleston. Mm-hmm. One of them was, "Hey, we're going to actually start a church in Mount Pleasant. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys should come. Not a job or anything." Yeah. My wife had worked at that old church, but we're like. I, I said, we're not moving to Charleston. <laughs> and then we kind of stood back and said, well, wait a minute. Why are we in Nashville? And, yeah. and we didn't really know a lot about Charleston. My wife had been here before, but we came to visit and it actually rained the whole time. <laughs> and I thought, this is amazing. Yeah. If this is how it is when it rains. Yeah. This place must be awesome when it's yeah. nice. And so we came back and, and then the next time we bought a house, the next time we lived here. So that was like a year later. And it was such a good choice. We, we love it here. I mean, yeah. it feels more like home than Pennsylvania, Hershey, Pennsylvania, where I grew up in Nashville, where I was at for, for a number of years. But, um, what was cool was coming into, to Charleston. They have the Harbor Entrepreneurship Center, yeah. which was based off the Nashville Entrepreneurship Center, which I was very involved yep. in, very aware of. And so that felt, like very familiar in, in so many good ways. And and then when we were looking at areas to live in, we chose Park Circle because mm-hmm. it was like East Nashville yeah. 10 years ago, growing like crazy food scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, people invest in the neighborhood and and that bet has, uh, has really paid off. So coming into Charleston, we had a couple friends, but it was like, I'm going to dive right into the startup ecosystem. And, you know, Nashville's startup ecosystem is bigger than Charleston's, but it's very healthcare focused. If mm-hmm. you're outside of the healthcare focus, then you're kind of looking around for the other startups who yeah. are doing something. Charleston is not specific enough. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And that's, what's really cool because to me, that part of the ecosystem is much bigger. We aren't that far away from a location standpoint. We have ways to connect startup mm-hmm. grind through the Harbor, through a number of other types of events. And, you know, even being here at the tech center, I've got two different friends I'm going to go see after <laughs> this and, and catch up with them who are running their startups right here. And so that's, that's exciting. And, and, and I continue to be very invested in the startup ecosystem because I want to see it grow. And especially in a market that there's a bootstrappers mentality with a lot of startups. And a lot of that comes because they just don't feel equipped or they don't have the resources to go mm-hmm. raise venture money or they have a stigma about what that yeah. means. And and there's a lot of areas that I can give back, but I've decided fundraising is yeah. the area that I want to help in. I, I'm no expert, but I've done a lot of it and I've spent a lot of time understanding what venture is looking for mm-hmm. what angels you need to be talking to at an early phase, or at least what do they look like and, and try and help guide um, some of the companies in Charleston who are trying to do that. Because if the Southeast of Charleston specifically can get better at fundraising, mm-hmm. they can be better capitalized. It can grow faster and grow better companies. Then it's going to benefit all of us and, and the ecosystem in general. Is that what you'd like to see case status's role in the community being that sort of example of the right model of fundraising or a positive model of, of fundraising and venture capital? Is that sort of how you see the niche going forward that you'd like to see case status carve out for itself? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We love to be looked at as, oh, okay, you can get venture funding. I mean, our market in this personal injury market is $900 million. Mm-hmm. It's big enough, but it's not a, you know, it's not a hundred billion dollar yeah. market. I mean, we are going to continue to expand that TAM and, and understand what our mm-hmm. whole opportunity is. But, you know, when you're raising your first round or maybe like first after friends and family mm-hmm. round, I mean, you're like, oh, I'm going to be a billion dollar company. Well, you may not need to be a billion dollar company right. at your phase. You're raising $2 million on a convertible note with a, an 8 million cap. Well, you know, if you can exit, if you can be a hundred million dollar company, mm-hmm. that, 
they're probably yeah. okay with that. And, you know, frankly, don't say those things just because you think that's what yeah. they want to hear. I mean, be real about where you think your business is going to go and, you know, put your best foot forward and how you present and, and understand what they're looking mm-hmm. for. I mean, at the end of the day, you're the customer of the venture capital mm-hmm. firm. They make money only if they invest. And so it is a two-way yeah. relationship when you're when you're starting off. And, and those are just the things that I want to be able to give back to. And, and I try and communicate those things to my staff and my leadership team and executive team so that they feel like they can be equipped. If one day they want to go start a company, they feel like they can, they can go off and do that. And and I think that's part of our responsibility is to help, you know, foster more entrepreneurship in the, in the community. Well, what does success look like for case status, say three to five years down the road? I think we, we still have a vision that we will take over the professional services market in general. Mm -hmm. And so in three to five years, that means clear go-to-market strategies in our different channels that mm-hmm. we are, our different verticals that are valuable to us. Look, case status is not going to be a good fit in every practice area in legal. Mm-hmm. We know that, nor do we need it to be, right. but we want to know in three to five years, these are exactly the verticals. These are the channels in which we reach them. Here is outside of legal. Here's what our ACV is with our new features and products. And here's where we ultimately want to end up. You know, we're not on a two to three year path by any means. Mm-hmm. We, we still have a long vision for where we can go and we want to take the time to let this thing mature and grow so that we really understand what the opportunity is long-term. And I think in three to five years, we'll very much know what that is. And if we continue to follow the path we are now, I mean, hey, in 12 months from now, Mm -hmm. we may realize, okay, this is the segment we need to Mm -hmm. focus on. Well, we can get to profitability maybe with a bridge, or maybe we're on Mm -hmm. track to be profitable anyway. And that may be the path for us to get to the next phase. But, you know, we're, we're just too early to know that right now. And, and our board and and our team, we're all comfortable Mm -hmm. with that, but we know exactly where we need to be at this time next year to be confident where the business goes. And so that's our primary objective. And I mean, we'll have maniacal focus, hopefully to get us there. That's the plan anyway. (laughs) Where can listeners go to learn more about Case Status and keep up with your success? Yeah, so casestatus.com is our website. Mm -hmm. And um, we've started putting out some more video content about what we are. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people see, oh, it's this app thing. But we want to help people Mm -hmm. understand that the app is just the primary delivery mechanism Mm -hmm. for value. It's the starting point. And so that helps, you know, listeners or whoever wants Mm -hmm. to go to the website learn more about what case status is. And then I do a fireside chat Mm. on YouTube just to talk with influencers in the legal industry. Mm. We try and find the people who are doing fun, innovative things, whether they're law firms, customers, other software providers, and just understand their story and, and what they're doing to impact the industry. And so that can be a great way to learn more about how the industry is moving, how today you have to be a lawyer to own a law firm or to Mm -hmm. to profit from a law firm, but that's changing in Utah and Arizona and DC. I mean, how could private money coming into the legal industry affect all of us? I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting conversation. And so those are the types of things we want to be thinking about and, and ahead of, as we're thinking about how the legal industry changes over the next 10 years. Andy Sievers, co-founder and CEO of Case Status. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. enjoyed the opportunity to give Andy a platform for his story and for Case Status' story. The community here is made up of so many talented and giving individuals, and Andy is right up at the top of the list. I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, the City of Charleston. The City of Charleston is pleased to support the Charleston Digital Corridor with its mission to foster innovation and entrepreneurship. Also, I want to thank Ernest and his team at the Charleston Digital Corridor for their support 
and bringing you the best of Charleston's technology and entrepreneur communities. Look for our show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a rating or review and subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And of course, follow the Charleston Digital Corridor to stay up to date on all of the happenings here in Charleston. I'm Rich Conti, and this has been the Charleston Digital Corridor Tech Life Podcast. Thank you.